Hello and welcome to 90% Hits, a podcast about the number one songs in Australia of the 1990s. I'm Danny Yao and with me as usual is Tim Coyle. Hi, hi. Casey Atkins. Hello. And down the line from the Gold Coast, Tim Byron. Ahoy hoy. This week we are actually doing something a little bit different. For the last few podcasts we've covered the actual number one songs in the ARIA charts of 1990. But this week, before we leave 1990 behind <laughs> for good, we're going to uh, uh, look at a, look at some of our favourite songs that didn't necessarily get to number one, but were big charting singles. Well, in most cases, big charting singles anyway. So we've all chosen one song each, and we will uh, be talking about. And I think we're going to start with Tim Byron's choice. Tim, why don't you introduce the song that you've chosen? Well, I've chosen Sacrifice by Elton John. It got to number seven in March 1990 uh, in the charts, and overall in 1990 it was the number 47 single of that year. Elton John with Sacrifice. Tim Byron, you chose this song. Why don't you tell us what you think about it? I chose this song because I was thinking back, what would my favourite song out of these ones have been when I was an eight-year-old in 1990? And I think the song that would have been it would have been Sacrifice. As an eight-year-old, I love this song. At this point, I was sort of starting to learn piano. I've been learning piano for like a year or two at this point. And I'm pretty sure I'd, I'd requested my piano teacher that I learn how to play this song. So... I'm pretty sure I still have the sheet music for this somewhere around unless it got thrown out in a move or something. So I learned how to play it and um, I have forgotten how to play it now, <laughs> thankfully. Um, <laughs> but yeah, I've, um, I think I was a big fan of this. So I would have had um, both the Sleeping with the Past album that this song is from and the very best of Elton John that came out in 1990 uh, that was like a two double tape kind of thing. Was, and it would have been on both of those. Was that the blue and, um, cover with him looking into this, the corner of the sleeve? Yeah, yeah. Yes, I know that one very well. And, and sort of like some scribbly writing on it. Mm. And the, the funny thing about this is, um, yeah, listening to it now, I, I have no idea what I saw in it at the time. <laughs> it's such a slow ballad. It's, like, it's such a, a tired-sounding song. 
Like, it just sounds like Elton is really tired when he sings it, and the, the music behind it sounds tired. Robin Hitchcock just did an, an interview with uh, the AV Club um, for a series where people talk about songs they hate. And the song he chose um, wasn't Sacrifice, but it was something that's sort of a bit like Sacrifice. He chose Arthur's theme, The Best That You Can Do by Christopher Cross. What? I love that song. <laughs> yeah, yeah, of course you love that song, Danny. Yeah. But, um, but Robin Hitchcock, like, when he was arguing about why he hated it, he was talking about like, it's just such a tired-sounding song. Like, it, it just sort of sounds defeated and tired, and that's what he dislikes about it. And, like, Sacrifice has got a bit of that. Like, it's, um, I mean, like, uh, the best that you can do. It's got one of those like nagging insistent melodies and it's got nice chords in it. And, you know, Elton John could write those things in his sleep. Uh, but yeah, it's, it's a really tired sounding song. I, I guess the question with that, Tim Byron, would be perhaps that suits the lyrical content in a way. It's, I think it's meant to be a song about resignation. It's just a case of whether that tiredness actually suits setting that tone or it's just a tiredness of can't be bothered. Yeah, well, I think, I mean, you're right. You're definitely right. It is a song about resignation, about kind of, like, because I think the the lyrics are sort of about a, like, a relationship that's got to the stage where, like, both parties are just kind of tired of it and they're just kind of like, well, this is no good, but we couldn't do any better, maybe. And, like, it's sort of an ambiguous lyric because, like, when he's singing about that it's no sacrifice, it's pretty unclear whether it's, like, getting rid of the relationship is the no sacrifice or whether it's the um to not have the affair that he's thinking about having. It's, it's ambiguous in that way, I think. Tim Coyle, what about you? Well, uh, like Tim Byron, I really loved this song. When when I was a kid, my parents are both very big Elton John fans, and I remember playing this album continuously and really loving this song. Listening to it this week, uh, well, yeah, it's, <laughs> it's a Krista Berg song, isn't it? I, <laughs> It's, yeah, there's something a little flat about it when it was interesting insofar as when the first time I played it this week, uh, I was, wait, was Bernie Taupin not writing the lyrics for him at this stage? Because I thought the lyrics were quite awkward and bad as Elton's lyrics on his own. Bernie's lyrics have always been awkward. Yeah, um, and then I found out that uh, these are Bernie Taupin lyrics and the interesting thing was when I looked at them on, on the screen or on the page, they didn't read too badly, but whatever's being done in how they're being conveyed in the song, it's just it's awkward, it's clunky. Uh, it Actually, it sounds like a bunch of phrases from Brad Goodman strung together more than anything else. So, yeah, it's it's a weird song in that way. It's not bad, bad, but it just, yeah, something a little flat and I think as Tim Byron says, a little resigned about it and not in a way that's gelling with the, the lyrics. Well, this should be interesting with your look on your face, Casey Atkins. What about you? You know what? I don't even remember this from the time. Really? But yeah. Um, listening to the song, there's no surprises in it. There's nothing that I wasn't expecting. It's all it's all in there somewhere. But I certainly don't remember whether or not I liked it um, when I was 10. Um, I don't remember it being on the charts. It's not something I remember being everywhere. Like, some of, like a lot of the songs that we've listened to were just kind of everywhere. But I guess as we'll learn from the song that I chose for this week, songs like the Sacrifice by Elton John were not the type of songs at the forefront of my mind at this time, <laughs> which will all become clear in probably, about, you know, 20 minutes time. Um, and, and again, listening to it this week, I, it, 
falls into the category, like I love Elton John as much as anybody does now, but it falls into that category of like, can you feel the love tonight or, or those kind of songs, which just feel like those ballads, those 90s ballads that were written for a purpose and written to be singles or, or written for, for whatever reason that doesn't, they don't feel like they were written for, you know, because he really felt it or anything like mm. that. And the production behind it is just so <laughs> icy, uh clean and there's no feeling and there's those just awful keyboard sounds. I, I, like, I remember listening to a lot of Elton John in, I think mum and dad had a couple of Elton John records in the car and um, there was a particular Elton John concert that I had on video that I watched about a billion times where he was doing, you know, it was Elton John with the costume changes and the wigs and it was doing the I'm Still Standing kind of thing and then listening to, to this just doesn't really, doesn't give me the Elton John that I, uh, that, that I like. Yeah. Well, Damn. I definitely, uh, it's probably the first song that we've come across that I kind of dislike. It's, I just really find it. And back in the day, I remember thinking that it was just really sort of like, I guess, agreeing with all of you morbidly plodding and slow and needlessly sugary, mm. even though the production didn't sound that sugary, I didn't quite get, Again, I didn't quite get what he was sacrificing. Yeah. Uh, yeah, it just wasn't a song I ever connected to, although I remember it being all over radio at the time. I don't know about you guys, but it was no, I everywhere. I mean, I was such a radio junkie. And, and I guess I'm going to ask all you guys the same question, but was this your introduction to Elton John? No, definitely not. Like um, like I'm saying, I had that. that I, I wish I could remember what this actual concert was that I was watching. But it, it was it was before that. I reckon I must have been eight or nine. When was I'm still standing single? That was eighty three. Okay, so <laughs> yeah, two. he was playing this at, at the concert, and it was a, it was a relatively new single at the time. So the the gig I was watching could have been four or five years old, and I could have been seven or eight. Mm. Um, so that was the Elton John that I was really really into at that time. So no, I was I was well aware of Elton John by by this time. Tim Byron, what about you? I think maybe it was sort of my introduction to Elton John. I don't think I remember much Elton John before that. I think my like I think I probably heard Sacrifice in those songs and then I would have heard the rest of the stuff when I got the greatest hits album like a little bit later on. So I guess, you know, we probably will not get another chance to talk about Elton John. So Unless... Oh yes we will. Oh, oh really? Hey, really? <laughs> oh my god, of course we will. <laughs> wow. And yeah. Okay, and well then now. I'll save my conversation then about post-sacrifice Elton John then for maybe for another time. But I guess let's talk about what we love about Elton John, if anything, you know, favourite tracks oh. and, you know, what we like about him before. Because I think it's probably we, we, everyone who would agree with me that this was probably the start of a decline <laughs> in his abilities. Uh, Tim Coyle, why don't you start? Well, as I said, Elton John's very much part of the soundtrack of me being a kid, and it's pretty inseparable from that. Uh, and as I think it is for a lot of people my age, uh, as an interesting side note to that, when driving here in the car, listening to the the play playlist we we put together for this week, my wife would refuse for any other track to be played other than Sacrifice because it's just so strongly associated with her childhood. 
that it was giving her that good a vibe. So uh, regardless of what us four think of it, someone out there likes this song. <laughs> uh, but yeah, Elton John is, well, just so many great songs that I could, I could say here things like Rocket Man, which is probably my favourite Elton John song, and also things like Tiny Dancer, obviously, and there's, yeah, I, could, I could go on half the night about it. It's just he, he has a very diverse catalogue, um, which is always impeccably performed, has a powerful and identifiable voice. And, yeah, just what he brings to a song in the, the confidence with which he, he puts it across and he owns it, I think is one of the reasons that I, I find him just an artist I, I return to and, and enjoy so much. Kim Byron, what about you? I am a piano player and, like, it's funny in a way that I kind of, um, you know, I, I write columns and I am a psychologist who lectures and all that kind of stuff, but in my head I'm a piano player. And my idea of a piano player really does kind of come from Elton John. Um, like before there was Ben Folds and Whitlam's and all that kind of stuff. It was Elton John. Like I, I knew about him before I knew about <laughs> Billy Joel. And so, you know, I, I listened a lot to the greatest hits uh, that I got. And so I you know, came to know like every, you know, you know, every note of most of those songs and wanted to learn lots of them and figure out how they go. I, I've, and so, you know, as a piano player, knowing Elton John is a really good thing to do. Yeah, you know, it, it's funny. I um, at a at a house party I was at, uh, you know, two or three years ago. Um, it was like a house party that sort of had like bands playing in the backyard, and um, Perry Keys was there, and he was um, you know doing a few of his songs. And someone asked him like to do a cover, um, you know, to do Tiny Dancer, and I, I was sort of in the audience, and there was a keyboard there, so I started playing it. And and I um you know I started playing the riff and I was you know do 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 I was doing all that kind of stuff and Perry was singing beautifully over the top and and we were going through the song and we were like two of the two thirds of the way through we were about to get to the big chorus that we were going through those kind of like the the bridgey kind of thing in the song where it was about to get to that big chorus and then I went to play that you know that that one chord that when it starts to go hold me closer tiny dancer. And I got the chord wrong <laughs> and everyone laughed and it was so embarrassing. And my like, Perry keys will never play with me again. <laughs> I, I was there. That was, I thought you were going somewhere different. I thought you were going to say Mark Kozlek started singing and then the whole bus started singing. <laughs> <laughs> Alas, we all have no. a story about playing or singing tiny dancer. Oh yeah. Uh, Tim, before I let you go, do you have a favorite song? Honky cat. Honky cat. Great song. I just love the piano in that. I love the interplay of the instruments, and I love that um, the, the horns in that song. They're just like so. The, like the way they sort of just go. Doo -doo -doo. It's just like these little tiny bits that like are, are really understated, but when they're there, just, they're just like big and full. I, I just love that song. Okay, fantastic, Casey. What about you? Yeah, I was going to talk about um, Honky Cat because I had this thing with Elton John where I couldn't pick a favorite song, at, but it changes from time to time, like. Um, Sometimes Honky Cat's my favourite song and sometimes Goodbye Yellow Brick Road is my favourite song. Sometimes Benny and the Jets is my favourite song. I just, just get in – it just depends on the, the groove. One of the great things about Elton John and, and especially those sort of 70s Elton John records is that band just sounds so great and those backing vocals and the guitar playing is unreal as well. Like mm. there's um, – the, the piano playing kind of – 
you know, it, it, it speaks for itself, but you, you can't discount how good that guitar playing is. Like, it's really good. Um, That's Davey Johnston. Davey Johnston, yeah. Yep. And he's still with him, isn't he? Yeah, I think so. He's the. I think I saw him like a few years ago, and there was an old like British kind of guy playing guitar. So I assume that's the guy. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> who should have had a haircut thirty years ago. And yep. Yeah. No, that's him. Yeah, I find. Um. Yeah, Elton is a. He's a really good piano player, but he's kind of understated in in how he does it. Like he, as a piano player, he um he always plays to the song, and and he rarely goes overboard in kind of trying to look like a great piano player, at least on the records, like live, he goes into a little bit more, but he's not, he's not like Ben Folds who like, who you listen to the record and you go, wow, he's a great piano player. He's, he just kind of plays it as it needs to be played and um, no more. And that's a really great thing about him. And that's, that's really similar to, to what David Johnson does because it's, and, and what that whole band does because everything in the backing vocals, in the guitar playing, in the piano playing, everything is there only because it needs to be. And it's just, um, they just lock into a groove so well and it, and it comes across so well on those, mm. those records. I, I think a point to be made there is that Elton is a very fine singer. He's, oh, he's not obviously up there with the, the grace, but he is a fine singer. And that means that the piano playing doesn't need to be showy because his voice is carrying mm. a lot of that burden as far as the... The, the point of interest in a particular song is concerned. Yeah, definitely. So, Danny, your, your Elton John thoughts, feelings, favourites? Well, I have to say, I was never a big fan of Elton John throughout the 90s, and we'll talk more about that in a later week, I guess. But what really broke the back on me for Elton John, it's also the same thing that broke the back for me for a lot of the big artists, be it David Bowie, be it Bob Dylan, which is when I started hearing tracks that weren't on the greatest hits mm. and going, wow, you know, Queen Bitch is an amazing song. And the one that really did it for me was Tiny Dancer mm-hmm. from Almost Famous that I just went, oh, my God, here's a song that I, I don't know about you guys, but I definitely hadn't heard before that movie. And then in that movie, they also use Mona Lisa's and Mad Hatter's, yeah. which is just the most beautiful song. And you talk about the dem- democracy in that band, and he loves the band. And that song and that album, Tumbleweed Connection, is probably the most the band album that he's ever done. And everyone just sits there and plays their part. The lyrics are this beautiful Americana thing. Um, I still kind of a bit weird on him sometimes. His Mona Lisa's Mad Hat, as much as I love, and Tiny Dancer and those songs, it's nonsense. <laughs> it's pretty nonsense. But yeah, now I know Spanish Harlem just. Um, pretty words to say. I don't have no idea what that means. <laughs> you know, I have no idea what Mona Lisa's and Mad Hat is, is about. I just think of Kate Hudson crying. <laughs> <laughs> Moving on to our second track of tonight. This is a choice by Tim Coyle. Tim, do you want to introduce it? Uh, sure. This is Leave a Light On by Belinda Carlisle.
So that was Leave a Light On by Belinda Carlisle, and that was the 51st highest selling track of 1990. 50 other tracks uh, <laughs> sold more than it, but I guess probably dozens upon dozens didn't. Uh, one after Buster Move. Tim Coyle, why don't you tell us why you okay. chose this well, track? Well, I, yeah, I approached this in pretty much the same way as Tim Byron did, insofar as I went back and thought about the song that I I like the most at, at this particular stage in 1990 and that I listened to the most, and it was this, and I played the hell out of this song and the hell out of this album and really, really loved it. And it was it was curious going back to listen to it this week because I thought, okay, this is something I'm probably not going to enjoy as much as I did when I was nine years old and it's going to be dated and... Yeah, that's another cherished childhood memory which will um, which will not stand the test of time. But when I listened to it this week, thankfully those fears were allayed. I was surprised to find out it's held up not too badly and I really enjoyed it a lot. Casey Atkins, what about you? I um, remember vaguely from the time, not nearly as much as like Heaven is a Place on Earth, I remember that really, really well. Um, from that was from when that was here. How how high up in the charts did Blue Light on get? I think number. Four? This got to number five in number January five. 1990. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you, Doctor Byron. Um, but yeah, so not not a huge memory of it at the time. It's it's interesting. A lot of the songs that have been chosen by you guys, I, I don't have the hugest memory from the time. But listening to it um, this week. I really enjoyed it. It's pretty rocky. Yeah, it's it's quite rocky. It's got a great melody and a great chorus. It's it's impeccably performed all around, and she sings the hell out of it. She's... And it's got a beetle. Really, it yeah. does. George plays the guitar solo. No fucking he way. He certainly does. Wow. So yeah, if you, if you needed any additional reason to love this song, well, there you go. I'm glad that I said that I liked it. Um, <laughs> but I like, you know, it's 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 really rocking. That snare sound in the intro is, mm. is like it's pretty. Um, of it, it's like, of its time. It's of its time, and it, it's kind of dated, but it's really nicely done for its time, mm. and and really sets up the song well. Just, it's nicely. It's well-structured. Yeah, it's very um, well-structured, I think, just the way it builds and it rises and at some points it plateaus and just kind of suspends things a little just to bring things down and then ram it home again with the... I mean, that chorus is huge. Yeah, oh, absolutely. So, yeah, I enjoyed it a lot listening to it this week um, and more, much more than I thought that I would when I knew that I was going to have to be listening to it. I was like, <laughs> oh, what, this? And then, yeah, I was, I was well into it. Tim Byron, what about you? You know, I, I have a pretty similar um, feeling about the song to Tim and Casey. Like when when Tim announced that this was the song he was going to do, um, I looked at the name of the song and I was like, which one was that again? Leave a light on it. I was like, I don't, uh, I don't know that one. And I, I pulled it up on Spotify. And, um, and and by the way, I just got a text from a, a friend who's just downloaded Spotify. And the text was, haha, Tim's listening to Be- Belinda Carlisle. <laughs> stupid friend more than anything yeah, come on. yeah. they also said like then they listened to the song and they were dancing around the house and having fun so oh, well. and yeah fair enough 
Uh, but yeah, like I listened to it and I was like, oh, that, that song, that's awesome. Mm. And, um, yeah, again, like with this song, my memories of it at the time are kind of vague. I guess it's just one of those songs that was on in the background in the radio. Like I didn't listen to it over and over again, like Tim Coyle did. Um, but yeah, I like Belinda Carla. I, I thought that like heaven is a place on earth and summer rain and live your life be free were all pretty good songs. And, um, yeah, um, as, as a song, like, I listen to it now and like her voice, like she, she, she sings it like with a lot of heart and stuff. And, um, but her voice like sort of gets on my nerves a little bit here and there with, with that kind of rubato thing that she does where she's just like, ah! it's, it's also, it's a very trebly <laughs> voice, which yeah. I, I guess is not, especially not to modern taste where I guess there's meant to be a husky tone amongst female singers, which, and the production of it does not help her in that regard. But, um, yeah, I, I just like that, as you say, she she throws herself into this song vigorously. Yeah, um, and I think the thing about um, Belinda Carlisle and Leave the Light On and um, some of her other songs is she's so good at singing happy songs. Like, singing happy songs is a really hard thing for a singer to do. It's much easier to put your emotion into the, the sad songs because it's a really hard kind of music to make well. And she does really well with that, like, with songs like Heaven is a Place on Earth and, like, Summer Rain. <laughs> like, it, she, she's got that kind of just sense of, like, liberation of feeling stuff is good. And, like, I think um, Leave a Light On, it's sort of a song about, like, a long-distance relationship, right? And she's sort of thinking about Leave the Light On, I'll be home when I can be. Mm. And then the song has that kind of, it's got a sort of anxiety about it, like a worry and that kind of stuff about it. But then like there's the big chorus and there's sort of the rush of emotion and the rush of feeling good. And like, she's so good at selling that, that I'm happy. I'm here. You've left the light on. It's the best. You know, mm. she's really good at selling that kind of feeling. It's the best. Um, <laughs> no, I, I totally agree. I love this song. I love Belinda Carlisle. I get, have a greatest hits that I listen to all the time. Yeah, this is just a cracking track. The everything I like about pop music is there. The pop construction, that middle eight, everything about it. So I will say that I kind of prefer Summer Rain, but mm. yeah, I don't know. I guess that song is just a song I listen to more, and they were both in the charts at the same time. And it's interesting in Australia, Summer Rain actually outsold Leave the Light On. But yeah, I definitely remember this song from back in the day, and I definitely loved this kind of music so things like tiffany and whatever but you know yeah just it was just fun pop music there's an interesting aside to that of course with belinda carlisle being who she is she was of course with the go-go's yes uh, before this which i think was the first num they wrote and performed the first number one album by an all-girl group who wrote their own songs and played their own instruments so yeah in the u.s yeah in the u.s so i i mean she has her place in history with that and the go-go's were a pretty different prop proposition to what belinda carlisle was solo a little less on a song like this which is hearkening back to to her roots in that regard and a lot of songs on runaway horses had a much rockier edge to it than her previous solo work had I, I just also just want to add at this point that I had a massive crush on Belinda Carlisle. Oh, yeah. I was I, just going to say that. Well, we could, yeah, <laughs> Casey talked about boy-girl things uh, in, the, in the first podcast. We were, we were talking about uh, Paula Abdul. Paula Abdul yeah, I, I mean, yeah, I would have held the crap out of Belinda Carlisle's hand at that stage, even at nine years old. Um, I just wanted to dance with her in the summer rain. Yeah, like, yeah. <laughs> it's, it's a... Yeah, you know, it's just, uh, the, and that was part of my thinking going back to it this week. It's like, 
Yeah, Casey's showing photos to us on his iPhone, and I'd we're see, all getting distracted. It's the uh, it's the lever light on single cover, actually, mm. and there's some hella cleavage going on there. Yeah, it's rather, <laughs> so, rather saucy. But a, a lot of her appeal was also that girl next door thing, um, and also she's Belinda Jo Carlisle. She's the cheerleader from California, which also, as a, a cultural touchstone, is you know Casey's. <laughs> breaking out more photos here. <laughs> As a cultural touchstone was was kind of, it's a pervasive thing at the time, but also I guess Twin Peaks is out at this time. It's deconstructing that image as well. Mm. And even a lot of the grunge stuff, Nirvana would start breaking down the cultural image of jocks and cheerleaders a lot more as we go on. But um, yeah, I was, I was pleasantly surprised that, uh, that, this song held up as well as it did, and I enjoyed mm. it as much as I did. So good on nine-year-old Tim Coyle. Yeah, it's <laughs> it. This next track is my choice, and it is Sweet Surrender by Wet Wet Wet. time choosing a track i did a similar thing to everyone else where i tried to be honest with myself from 1990 and choose a song that i loved back in the day and i have to say there was sort of a slight perverse pleasure in thinking that i get to make you guys listen to this song (laughs) it is a song that i hand on heart totally knew all the words to back in the day it was just a sweet little pop song I had no real bias against them in any way. I didn't know anything about the members of the band. But it was just a great little pop song. I listened to it and danced around to it in my bedroom a lot, learned all the words, and, yeah, just really got into it. But, yeah, I'd be very interested to know what you guys think of the song. Tim Byron, why don't you start? Shit, shit, shit. <laughs> <laughs> really? Can you just not find anything redeeming about the song? This, this is the one song of the five that I could not listen to the whole way through. But that I'll get halfway through and I'll be like, oh, Jesus. <laughs> really? Uh, I thought you were yep, my really. saving potential. Just, yeah, okay. <laughs> Anything else to add well, to you that? Thought, you thought that I'd dig that. Well, well, at least you understand where I was coming from in terms of um, <laughs> just, it's a, it's a nice, it's not produced well or whatever, but it's just a nice, I have the CD single somewhere. Like, I did like this song. But, um. You, you mean like because I chose um, like a, a pretty actually I mean sacrifice is a pretty similar song in some ways they're both kind of like nothing ballads that like we really liked at the time so I get that but yeah 
Yeah, I don't, I don't really remember this song at the time, like, apart from just being one of those songs that's in the ether. Like, I listened to it and I'm like, yeah, I know that song. So it's just been on the radio here and there. But, like, yeah, shit, shit, shit. <laughs> <laughs> okay. <laughs> Tim Coyle, how about you? Um, well, th- to be honest, I didn't hate it as much as I thought I was going to, but that's probably not saying a great deal. Um, <laughs> it is smooth, I guess, and to, to be fair, Marty Pello has not got the worst voice in the world. He's actually quite a decent singer, but yeah, it's a pretty limp song for mine, and yeah, just some of the production and I, I guess some of the things flickering through my head as it was, it was playing in so far as when the, uh, I guess, the acoustic guitar comes in and the pre-chorus bit, the kind of the bubble comes up with John Frusciante playing it kind of thing in the video <laughs> clip. It's, it's just, yeah, I kind of vaguely remember, remember the video clip involving some flowing, big, baggy, color me bad style suits. And yeah, it, it was just. Was the era? Yeah. Yeah, it, it was the era, but yeah, kind of thinking about that right now, it was a bit of a bit of a mess. And yeah, this is just I mean, British soul has and British blue eyed soul has done so much better. Wow, okay. Uh ouch. I will come back to you, Tim Byron, but Casey Athens. <laughs> yeah, I um couldn't really quite believe it when um when I saw the email saying that, we're, <laughs> that somebody was going to make me listen to Sweet Surrender by, or anything by Wet Wet Wet. Um, <laughs> um, yeah, I did make myself get through it a few times. I guess I remember it from the time, but it wasn't a particular high, particularly high seller from the time, was it? Um, Tim Byron, I'm going to ask you to chime in and tell me how, how high it ever got on the charts. Yeah, this got to number seven in about May 1990. Okay, so it was up there. Um, yeah. But but again, another one of the types of songs that I just would have been ignoring at the time. If, if you're an eight, nine, ten-year-old boy, then this is just kind of your idea of a romantic song and eight, nine and ten-year-old boys don't go in for that kind of thing so much, even though given some of the other songs we've kind of been nominating, that's maybe not <laughs> the greatest explanation. But, yeah, this one's, as I say, it's particularly, uh, I use the word limp, and there's just kind of... <laughs> I just, like, look, I, I was very sort of trying to play it cool in my introduction, but just I had fun listening to this song this week. <laughs> <laughs> and Tim Byron, I guess I, I was looking for you to save me. You don't, like, <laughs> the melody is amazing, you know. Uh, like, it's just such a well-constructed song. It's got good little lyrics for what it is. It's no worse really? than, uh... <laughs> <laughs> I, I don't know. I don't. I think the lyrics are pretty awful. They're pretty, like, nothing <laughs> lyrics. And I think, as a song, the melody is nice here and there. But, like, it's just, like, one of those songs that seems like sort of like it's been constructed from a kit, like that there's a particular way that people are meant to write songs and they've gone and done that rather than, than putting any kind of emotion or feeling into it. Like the, I just don't hear anything like that in the song. And it's a song that has to have that kind of stuff to even work. Like, you know, these kind of soul songs, you can have like the most anodyne lyrics and if the singer can like just nail it, it doesn't matter. And this song, the singer doesn't nail it and the lyrics aren't good enough that if he doesn't nail it, like, yeah, you know, there's nothing there. Oh, uh, yeah, okay. I, I just, I love <laughs> well-constructed songs. I, the more, 
I have a soft spot for it, like, you know. And I guess, you know, other artists similar, like, say, Richard Marks and things like that. Just, <laughs> well, um, well, we we, we, I, we do get into Richard Marks at a, like yes, a point. Yes, in a very we? strange so, time of his career. But, yeah. Um, but, yeah, look, <laughs> not much else to say other than oh. I just always love this pop song. I can dig out the CD single in a second. I'm happy to sing it uh, for anyone at any certain point. Okay. Yeah, I've got to raise an objection to the these are great lyrics thing. I might, I mean, my <laughs> infatuation came creeping across the nation. <laughs> but it was just fine. Uh, You're fine. No. <laughs> okay, but so it was great for what it was trying to do. It was just a sweet pop song that. You know, I'm sure made them heaps of money. It just like I kind of appreciate a lyric. Oh, no, not it. as much money as they would earn. Oh, actually, they wouldn't earn as much money. No. <laughs> well, not love is all about. Oh, no, not their but, uh, song. They just it just keeps on message. I guess it keeps out of the way. It doesn't try to do too. I I think it's very. See, all the things you're saying, Danny, are things why the song doesn't. <laughs> and, like, it keeps on message, it gets out of the way. It's like, I want a song to not be on message. I want a song to say yes. something, to do something. And it does you know what? Exactly. Guess... It's like describing a kind of particularly bland and a bland, bad politician. <laughs> no, I guess I appreciate it for it being a perfect radio pop song. You know, and, it's, and that's not necessarily a good thing for some people. It's the same thing I will say when we get to... Oh, we might actually get to it, which is pretty fly for a white guy. And a lot of stuff that's on radio now where there's a hook every 10 seconds sort of thing. And this is just a well-constructed pop song that is just designed for the masses, and it's great, like, for that. It just totally fits the bill, and I was one of the masses, so I put my hand up and I went and bought the single. So it's, <laughs> yeah, I don't, apart from Love Is All Around, I don't really know anything else about Wet, Wet, Wet. No, nah, neither. I follow... No. Uh, Pillow Watch, which was the column that was on Q Magazine for a long time, which they just decided to pick on Mighty Pillow from Wet, Wet, Wet as the person to follow every month. And they just followed him every month. <laughs> and they wrote about him for a couple of years, kind of in the later Britpop era. And it was hilarious. That's yeah, but obviously for a humorous column, they back the wrong horse because if they were following Mick Hucknall around, Jesus, that would have, <laughs> wouldn't think, that have been a column. But I think Marty had a sense of humor about it. So, yeah. yeah. Well. But that's why it would be. It would have been a much worse column than the one about him. <laughs> he wouldn't have had it. He would have just like been like you know punching him out, and they would have got the great photography. Yeah. Oh, actually, looking at it now, there is one other song by Wet 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 that I love, which is a strange sentence I know. But like, Goodnight Girl is a great song. So ah, uh, yeah. Don't well, know. the thing about <laughs> you probably don't want me to play it for you. <laughs> yeah, the thing about Wet Wet Wet. Um, and the guy and his guy's voice in this, but not really in Love Is All Around, but in this one, the thing that like he reminds me of his singing is um that kind of Aaron Neville mm, kind of thing, and that yeah. was really big around that yeah. time, around that kind of nineteen ninety kind of thing. You had Aaron Neville like in the charts with um Don't Know Much with uh, Linda Ronstadt. You had like the um the guy from the Fine Young Cannibals who had that same kind of the sort of warbling kind of thing, yeah, yeah. And you had like the guy London Beat. I think we might. Get to Which, um, soon, or maybe we'll we won't. Probably, maybe they just missed we'll out. Probably talk about momentarily as well. I think. Uh, yes, we will. But yeah, I guess right. the last thing I want to say about this song in particular, uh, it is definitely some, one of those songs that we've talked about earlier, which is a holdback from the eighties. Yeah, there is something about it that yeah. Is, yeah, it's trying to be one of those eighties ballads, <clears throat> and it just sort of sneaked through into the nineties. And then by the time we get to Love Is All Around, that is. Very much trying to jump on the Britpop bandwagon. It was in that movie. It was had a big loud guitar in it, and it was trying to be take that. So, <laughs> uh, yeah, they definitely turned away from that soul stuff. 
But let's not uh, let's not cause any more pain for wet, wet, wet. Let's move towards our last sort of choice from one of us tonight, and this song was chosen by Casey Athens. Do you want to introduce it? Sure. Well, um, I like I'm sure that all of us did had a bit of trouble choosing. Um, yeah, set, settling on a song, but when I started seeing the selections come through from the rest of the group, I just thought, yeah, this song was in my head anyway, and this <laughs> this lot of songs just needs some rock. Needs a Y chromosome. So, ladies and gentlemen, I give you Unskinny Bob by Poison. Okay, that was Unskinny Bop by Poison. And Casey, do you want to tell us why you chose this song? Yeah, I we I think we spoke about it in the first week. I loved um, that first, or I guess it was the first Poison record, which was Open Up and Say Ah, uh, which had um, Every Rose Has Its Thorn and uh, Nothing But A Good Time and uh, really what I thought was a great cover version of um, Your Mama Don't Dance on it. And this being the, um, so I, lo- I love that record and I was like excited to hear more Poison songs and when I heard this, it just, it ticked every single one of those boxes for me. It was just raw and rocking and it had a chorus and a half. And I, I guess interesting um, to hear Tim Byron talk about um, why he sort of chose Sacrifice because it was a song in the charts and you lo- and you were getting into playing piano at the time and I was getting into playing, getting fairly heavily into playing guitar at this point as well and yeah. anything with, with some, some great rocking guitars like this. And it's kind of another reason why I really uh, enjoyed re-listening to Blaze of Glory and stuff. But, you know, it's, it's some really, really, um, or at the time I thought it was some really great guitar playing and, and I just love the big, fun rocking out um great chorus great melody had no idea what it was kind of getting out <laughs> lyrically um but that didn't really matter and I, and I don't think it really mattered to the band either <laughs> and, I, and i have to say on listening to it this week I, i've just loved the shit out of it <laughs> i really honestly have i've listened to it um on, on repeat a couple of times, actually. I've, I've gone back and played it again. 
Surprisingly, I, I actually really rate the guitar playing on it still. Mm. Um, the, the guitar tones are really nice. They're not sort of too 80s. Um, it's quite a bit of dirty blues yeah, stuff going on, doesn't it? Absolutely. Um, and it's, I think it's really well structured. Like there's a, the, the middle eight in it is mm. really good. Um, there's a, a little C section as well that, that sort of brings it back around after the solo into the sort of outro choruses, which, you know, it's just, it's really well put together and well performed. Tim Byron, what about you? Um, well, yeah, well, one thing I wanted to ask Casey was, um, how many hours do you reckon you've spent, um, you know, trying to learn and trying to play that riff? Um, you know what? The big, the big one in the verse. What's that? Yeah, that big one in the verse. Yeah, that really. Well, it was really funny because I remember um, not. It wasn't actually one of the songs necessarily that I tried to learn how to play as soon as I heard it. But then Mm. a few years later, I was just kind of jamming in a in a music room at school, and and one of the other guys who played guitar just pulled out that that riff, and I saw him play it, and I was like. Oh, that's actually really easy. <laughs> it, yeah, it? It, it actually really is. It's 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 effective, um, and it's it's really good. But it's not actually that difficult. The the speed and is it one of those hammery? Yeah, kind of that's things? exactly what it is. So there's a kind of a couple of um, hammer on pull off sort of things that are um, creating the the speed in it. Um, but it's all in open position, and um, it's it's just a, a scale really, and it's really, really effect- effectively done. Tim Coyle, what about... Oh, no, sorry, Tim, you, Tim Byron, you didn't tell us what, how you feel about the song. Yeah, so, um, yeah, with, with this song, I mean, I never really had any kind of relationship to that kind of 80s hair metal thing. Like, I was eight in 1990, and, like, I just wasn't the target market listening to Elton John, you yeah. know. And I, I wouldn't have been until I was, like, 13 or 14 or something when, like, you know, testosterone started pumping through me and I started wanting to hear, like, the roar of heavy guitars... And by the time I was 13 or 14, like, there were much better options. And um, <laughs> Yeah, fair enough. Yeah. Yeah, and so, like, yeah, like, so I don't really have much memory of this song. Like, it's, I kind of know it over the years from having seen, like, the video on, like, say, Channel V or, you know, Music Max or whatever. Um, but, yeah, like, as a song, like, I listen to it and I'm like, hey, yeah, that's a cool guitar riff. Like, it's sort of catchy and things, but it doesn't do that much for me one way or another. It's just kind of like... Yeah, it's another sort of hair metal song from the time that's pretty well constructed, but it's, yeah, it's a bit sort of, yeah. yeah. <laughs> Fair enough. <laughs> Tim Coyle, what about you? Yeah, I, well, when, I, I remember the song really well. And also when it came out, I think I, I had a general aversion to hair metal uh, at, back then, largely because it was the music of the my much bigger peers at school who had no qualms about beating crap out of me. So it was... <laughs> like Casey? The, well, I didn't go to the same school at Casey. This was before we met. Yeah. Um, right, okay. Yeah. So, yeah, it was just associated with a certain kind of aggressive guy that I was not, obviously, Belin- uh, listening to Belinda Carlisle. <laughs> so, yeah, <laughs> kind of being uh, being associated with uh, people who push you around at school, put a little bit of a, a black mark next to it, and I never really got into the hand metal thing because of that. Even though I think there was a part of me that enjoyed these songs yeah. uh, at the time, and kind of because the thing is, they are quite melodic 
and yeah. meticulously put together and they're, they're thought through and thought about and and listening to it this week, I, I'm with Casey. I, I listened to this a lot and loved it. And, yeah, just everything from that opening drum roll and the bass, uh, bass and the drums creating that real strut yeah. to start off with. It's just it's so cocksure and... And, and it's rocking, and yeah, the, a lot of the dirty blues riffs, and it, and just the, the the backing vocals and stuff like yeah. that. It's, it's just as I said, it's meticulously put together, but everything works so well for me. And yeah, it's it's just it's a, it's a bit of a classic of the genre. Yeah, I love this song too, and I love the big songs, Poison Deer, uh, especially Nothing But a Good Time. Those songs just sound like a party. You're listening to the track and you just see the band are partying as they're recording it. And they're sort of singing over each other and they're just those riffs just sound so off the cuff and they're just little fills and they're, they I don't know if it's recorded live, it kinda of sounds like the thing where it's kind of edited together to death to sound awesomely loud mm. and pretty produced and worked very hard to get that sound. But yeah, big fun song. I never really got into hair metal myself, but poison would probably the big exception just because they were so pop and it was after Motley Crue so that was a bit too young for that sort of stuff. And did you like Did you like Guns N' Roses? Yeah, I like Guns N' Roses but I kind of, huh, this is the thing, right? I kind of like Don't Cry in November Rain more than I like yeah, Yesterday's yeah. or Paradise City. <laughs> right. So, yeah, that's uh, kind of, what, like, yeah, my favourite Guns N' Roses song is like Patience or something. Like that. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And I'm probably the only guitar player who, in his first, like, 1,000 songs I ever learned, I didn't learn Sweet Child of Mine. So, yeah, I, but it's a great pop song. I still like them. And, yeah, I I don't know if I'd ever go see them play live or anything <laughs> now. It would be definitely a band that, if I saw them play, I'd just be there to see three songs. <laughs> yeah. And they probably look terrible. And I'm not sure I really get along with their fans. <laughs> pretty similar thing to Tim Coyle. Yeah. I like a lot. Um, that said, a lot of my friends do love the band. So, yeah, Have it's been doing reunion songs. Well, Brett, Brett Michaels um, plays as as Brett Michaels, and it's mm. just a funny thing because you always see him billed as you know Brett Michaels from Poison. It's not <laughs> you know you know how um, <laughs> there's the whole thing like uh, this. This man re- um, requires no introduction. Brett Michaels kind of does. I mean, he had a reality TV show not oh, too long ago, right. like one of the ones where he's got to find the you know the woman to marry or whatever, like one of those ones. I think. <laughs> oh, really? Yeah, yeah, you're right. I forgot like Brett Michaels, Rock of Love or something. Yeah. Like that. Really? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. So that's how far he's fallen. <laughs> yeah. Wow. But you know, good old um, good old CC Deville, the guitar player. Yeah. I um have a memory. Of um, not not necessarily rating him when once I had um, a bit more of an idea about what was going on with with guitar players, but just listening to this song this week, it's tasteful and the tones are good and it's all. And it look to be honest, it just it put a big smile on my face listening Taste. to this song. Yeah, I actually get where you're coming yeah. from, but I would use a lot of words <laughs> with regard to poison before I said tasteful. What? what and, like, and lyrics like, there's far too many, oh, no, you've got no, too I, many bees in your honey. Come on, that, that's tasteful. <laughs> well, that's, that, that is better than my infatuation came creeping across the nation. <laughs> <laughs> now, now. Um, 
Like Vaseline, you want to pump me and leave me at your floor. Come on, boys. What is an unskinny boy? Well, it's funny because I did look this up during the week. I don't know if anybody else did. but I got a fair idea. I didn't look it up. Well, um, I looked up the song just on Wikipedia, so you don't know um, whether or not it's right. But um, it's one of those stories where... It took a long time for, for one of them to admit, and I think it was C.C. DeVille that actually admitted that it doesn't actually mean anything. anything. It was a holdover lyric. So he wrote the song, um, <laughs> gave it to Brett Michaels to write the lyrics to. That was just sort of the nonsense, um, you know. Yeah, holding the, lyrics. Ho- ho- holding lyrics, scratch lyric that um, Brett Michaels was to write like a real theme around. <laughs> yeah. And it, yeah. So sort of like the lyrics to Odalay by Beck, which apparently are all scratch lyrics. Right. And, um, and it just worked so well and they couldn't think of anything else that actually <laughs> would work better and they just went with it. So that that's the, ge- the general story. Oh, that's serendipity, folks. See, I always kind of assumed that it meant, like, fat ass. I thought it meant... Like, unskinny? Yeah. Well, well I do- Yeah, fat butt. For whatever... Yeah. Baby's got yeah, back. For whatever reason, with the context, I thought it meant unprotected sex. So, you know, there you go. Ah! <laughs> oh, uh, yeah. There you go. Yeah. Well, I had no... About what it was whatsoever. I just wanted nothing but a good time. So, (laughs) and poison delivered. (laughs) Well, I guess before we move on from our choices, let's just quickly go around and talk about were there any other songs that you were going to choose but didn't? I alluded before that I definitely was on the fence with Vision of Love, the first Mariah Carey single. Okay, it was just a. I just remember that song being really big and really loving it at the time and. To this day, when people make fun of Mariah Carey, and of course she's just going to turn into a complete nutbag, I still remember just how amazing that song sounded and then the following singles after that, around that time and how big she was. And, it, and the, the echoes of that is still making her millions of dollars. Yeah. What about you, Tim Coyle? Um Well, yeah, my, my it came down to Leave a Light On and Joey by Concrete Blonde, oh, which right. is a fantastic song. That is yes. and, uh, it, ultimately, the criteria came down to to what I was listening to at the time, even though I remember liking Joey quite a lot at the time, not as much as Belinda Carlisle's song, which, uh, as I said before, I was happy I picked in the end mm. uh, because it did turn out to be a great song, as great a song as I, as I had remembered. But... Yeah, Joey by Concrete Blonde is it's a real outlier as far as a lot of the songs in that top one hundred are concerned. It's it's a a country rock song, basically. Mm. And yeah, it's it is completely out of place with everything that's around it, but uh, it's it's a great performance and it's it's a terrific song with a great lyric. Tim Byron, what about you? When I was when I was thinking about what to choose, um, I was kind of torn between going with the song that I liked the most then and going with the song that I would like the most now out of the songs that are on the list. And um, if I went with the song I like now out of the songs on the list, it'd probably be Thieves um, in the Temple by Prince. Yeah, great song. Which was like number 97 on the top 100 or something like that. Um, it, it's a great song, but it's, it's one of those sort of, you know, Prince has like his really, really big songs and there's kind of like the the sort of medium level songs that it kind of people don't know quite as well, but it is often better. And this is just one of them. It's just one of those songs that has had like a, a that kind of weird vibe that Prince was so good at sort of doing in the instrumentation and a catchy, catchy hook and like an interesting kind of lyric. And yeah, 
that that's what I was thinking of choosing, and I in the end went for the one I liked when I was when I was eight. Casey, yeah. So for me, it was um, the two songs that I remember liking about as much as each other. But I went with the song that I enjoyed the most listening to it this week, and the the other one in contention was Black Velvet by Alan Miles. Right. Yeah. Um, loved it at the time, and I still like the song now. But listening to it. The production on it is terrible and bumped the crap out of it. There's just this this strange um, mix of uh, beautiful uh, acoustic guitar sound and a really nice natural like Hammond organ tone over a terrible drum loop and a keyboard bass part, which just don't none of it washes together. It, it doesn't make any sense. Like um, it's like it was kind of half trying to be, uh, you know, overproduced synthesised song and half trying to be a, a, a kind of natural bluesy kind of, mm-hmm. kind of song. So it kind of bothered me listening to it this yeah, week. So it's it's interesting dry. you bring Alana Miles up because looking at that top, top 100 for 1990, there's a lot of really powerful female voices. <laughs> yeah, it's just a lot of Miles, yeah, that's true. Uh, Jeanette Napolitano who uh, I just mentioned, and Taylor Dane, uh, uh, we obviously wouldn't associate with necessarily being a great singer, but she had that very deep um, female voice. Mm. That, yeah, it's, it's And then there's the ones that we've already talked mm. about, like Sinead O'Connor Heart. and um, the Wilson yep. sisters from Heart and uh, Love Shack, yep. uh, Kate Pearson. Mm. <clears throat> what was Taylor Dane's hits from that year? I think she had two. Love will lead Love you will lead back. That's a great song. Um, yeah, well, I guess I would say that. Okay, well, that brings us pretty much to the end of our 1990 wrap up on 90% hits. And next week, we will dive into the number one songs of 1991, continuing on from Vanilla Ice. But before we do, we're just going to go around and of the three songs that the other guys picked, which is your favourite? So. Tim Coyle, why don't you start? Uh, Unski Bob. Woo! Was, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Came in a pretty comfortable second. <laughs> you should win a prize if everyone votes for that. <laughs> Tim Byron, what about you? For me, it's Leave a Light On by Belinda Carlisle. Wow, fantastic. By far. Yeah, okay. So go, go Tim, yeah. Coyle. <laughs> Tim Coyle. Go 10-year-old me. Yes, <laughs> Yakins. Another one for Tim Coyle. Belinda Carlisle is... What, you reckon I was going to pick? (laughs) 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 No one picked it. Well, I have to also agree with Tim Coyle this week. Leave a light on. So I guess... Does that that mean I get free beer? Yeah, well, I think that means we can go and get a beer after this. So that, yeah, that brings us to a wrap and we'll start talking about 1991 next week. Uh, As usual, Casey, why don't you let us know where people can find us on the internet? Okay, so you can find us at uh, 90%hits, uh, that's percent spelt out in words, at Gmail, Twitter, and Tumblr. We'll post on Tumblr um, everybody's Twitter handles and blog pictures uh, of Belinda Carlisle. Lots of pictures <laughs> of Belinda Carlisle. Uh, we'll put up show notes, we'll put up um, the Spotify playlist links, we'll put up the audio playlist links up on the um, Tumblr page. And, yeah, send us an email if you've got any thoughts on any of the songs that we've um, talked about, if you've got any of your other favourites from 1990, if there's anything you reckon that we missed, and we'll probably ignore it and not talk about it. Yes. <laughs> In case we'll talk about, we'll put up 
uh, note by note instructions on how to do the riff from Unskinny Bob. <laughs> <laughs> so, thank you for listening and talk to you next time. It's been seven hours and 50 days.